Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. My great privilege to welcome up to the platform, Nikki Rucci. Come on, let's hear it for Nikki. Thank you. Wow. Well, you've had two weeks of rain. We've had two weeks of sunshine. So who's moving to Nottingham? Even this morning, blue sky and sun. You're jealous. You're all jealous. In fact, we're just talking about fruitful area, fruitful region. You know, I, I am big on wanting other people to want what we've got. When I walk down the streets of our own city in our own little little Nottingham city, we call it a city. So I, I'm a runner. I like to I run marathons. I haven't run one for a while because I put my back out last year, but I'm getting to that place again. And I go for walks and I talk to everybody. And my kids have stopped coming with me to the shop because they go, Mum, we want to spend time with you, not the whole community. So, but I talk. Why? Because I want to get to understand where our community is at. I want to know what's going on in their world. I want to know what's going on with the checkout chick when I say, hi, how are you and how's your day? And she says to me, I hate this job. I hate this job. I wish I wasn't here. Then I'll say, what are you studying for? I'm not studying anything. I have to, st- I have, to have a job like this. I said, do you? I'll make those conversations. The checkout guy standing standing up while he's taking my groceries through the checkout. He's standing, a nice, tall, dark, African, English young man. I said, what are you standing for? He goes, if I don't stand, I'm going to fall asleep. Seriously. Gary's had the same guy. And we're getting to know him really well. Why? Because we take time to say hello. We take time to get into people's worlds that, we would probably just want to walk by and say, oh, I don't really want to talk to them. I think as a church, as, an, as a movement, and as our own area, let's get out in our streets. When you go for a walk, when you're at the checkout, putting your groceries, talk to them. When you're at the post office and they're, and they're telling you how much you've got to send something overseas, like we do in Australia, to Australia, talk to them. And how's your day? You know what? Go beyond that. How's your family? I even said that recently. How's your family? How's your husband? To an older, an older lady putting through my groceries. How's your husband? Is he okay? This lady said to me, my husband, we, make, we just make ends meet. I said, what does he do? He's a cab driver. She started to tell me the amount of money it costs the cabbie to run their cabs. Oh, my goodness. The insurance alone would probably take half of my daughter's wage a month. But you know what? I got into her world. I got into her world. So let's become fruitful in our community. It is one of the things that I will preach to the day I die. And I hope on my epitoire, my kids will go, she talked to everybody. I I hope they do. I hope they do. Because you don't know what seed you're sowing. You don't know what you're saying to that Older lady and older man walking down the street hand in hand. Hey, they might have only 10 years left with each other. Hey, they might only have one. You don't know the seed you're sowing as a leader, 
leader to leader. This is a leadership message today because if it doesn't stop, if it doesn't start with us, it'll stop with us. You don't know what seed you're going to be sowing into that older person's life, saying hello, how are you? Wow, there's someone walking down my street actually wants to say hello to me today, when everybody else ignores them. What about the what about the student who's in a hurry? And he's thinking about his future and he's thinking about, oh my goodness, if I don't get a job after my degree, how am I going to make, how am I going to manage, how am I going to make ends meet? And you sow a, sow a seed and say, your future is going to be absolutely, unbelievably awesome. They go, wow, no one's ever said that to me before. I recently had, one last story, I recently had the postie had to drop off a parcel for us. My mum sent something and I stood there at the door and I, and he gives me the parcel, I signed for it and I said, have an amazing, awesome day. He goes, what? No, I'm telling you, he did. And I said, yeah, have an awesome day. He goes, no one ever says that. He said, you're definitely Australian. <laughs> I said, I've got English blood. It runs through my veins. I just was born in Australia. And I said, it's no excuse. Let's leave our lives and it starts with us. So the message, the title of my message is Everything Stops and Starts With Us, Leader to Leader. As I was thinking about my message today, I, we, we travel around a bit. Sometimes Gary's one way, I'm the other, and sometimes we meet together. But as I'm traveling around, especially our area, London, Greater, greater London area, East, however, wherever the boundaries are, it's, to me it's just massive. Um, I've noticed some things when I walk into a church. I notice, I notice a lot of things. Gary's a detail man, but I'm detailed too. But I'm in a little bit different. I like atmosphere. So when your people in, met us at the outside today, wow, wow, wow. I felt encouraged. I felt welcomed straight away. Now, sure, okay, we're the leaders, right? That, that didn't, I actually looked beyond that and I thought, I bet you they do that all the time because it came out of them, it oozed out of them. I go into some churches where you're not met at all. You walk through and people want say, hello, how are you? And is this your first time today? I'll say, yes, it is. Nice to meet you. They don't know me until I'm actually sitting down in the front row and, they, and then they say, wow, well, uh-oh, she's a speaker. It has to, has to be back to front. Like today, we got met before we walked in. Encouraged, smile on their faces, enthusiastic, so good to have you here. That's where it starts, outside of the four walls of our churches and of our homes. So there are four things that I've noticed. Four things that I've noticed. And actually, before I go on, there was another thing I noticed when we were at the conference. That when I was welcoming with Sharon Pye, I was welcoming on the door, welcoming everyone, come on, hi, it's going to be an awesome conference. I was excited, being my natural silly self sometimes. Some people did not want to shake my hand. I thought, wow, that's how you run your church. Wow, you need me to come in and revolutionize you. Okay, so there's four things. I'm big, I'm, I am a people person. So if you can't say hello to someone when you're a leader, then come and talk to me. Four things. I feel we need to nurture. We need to start, we need to nurture, we need to build in the life of our churches. The first thing is we need to nurture the next generation, the next generation, or we are going to die 
an ageing denomination, an ageing movement. If we're going to be called a movement, we have to we have to invest in the next generation. We have to take risks. Classic example is David passing on to Solomon. I can't read it. It will take me half an hour to read the whole passage, but 1 Chronicles 22, 5 to 19, and then chapter 23. It talks about God, David hearing from God that Solomon was going to be the next in line. But before that had to take place, David had to go into preparation with Solomon. He had to talk to him about his relationship with God. Now David, remember David, God says he is the apple of my eye. God says he has a heart after my own heart. I love David because when he stuffed up, God still loved him. How many times do we stuff up and we say the wrong thing when we shouldn't have? God saw in him what the kingdom of God was going to be like. People like us, broken, people who stuff up. Now God says to, Sol God says to David, your son is who I'm looking at. Your son will be the next king. Now in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, 5 to 6, it says, And all of my sons, for the Lord has given me many, this is what David's saying, he has chosen Solomon. Chapter 29, verse 1 says, Furthermore, King David said to all assembly, to all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. Okay. So we've got 1 Chronicles 22, 5 to 19, and then chapter 23. And then we've got 28, chapter 28, 5 to 6 then 19 to 21, and then chapter 29 to 1. They're the scriptures that I've gotten this, um, this point out. First of all, David heard from God that it was to be Solomon next in line to lead. It wasn't just a good idea, it was a God idea. It wasn't just a good idea, it was a God idea. He was about 20 years of age when he became king. Now what we do as leaders is we look at the 40-year-olds the 45-year-olds and still think, oh, I don't know if he can do it. I'm gonna, I have something to say after that. Second point, David began to gather the generations in preparation for the next generation. He gathered the generations of all ages, men and women of all ages, to, because he was thinking, well, someone's got to help Solomon. When I go and when I die, there's got to be generations with wisdom and maturity to help Solomon build the church to the next stage and to the next level. Number three, David recognized Solomon was young and inexperienced. He knew his son wasn't ready to build the church and take it to, net, take it to the next level and where it should go. He knew that. That's why he started to talk to Solomon about his relationship with God. And he had the runs on the board to do so because he had a relationship with God to pass down to the next generation. He was in the presence of God daily, moments, every minute of the hour of the day. So he could tell Solomon, hey, mate, you got to go deeper. Hey, mate, let's just learn some Bible verses. Hey, mate, come on, walk with me, talk with me. It's called mentoring the next generation. Come on, what are you feeling? What do you think, Solomon? Come on, come on, what, what do you think? What's God saying to you right now, Solomon? That's what I've done. Right now, I have small mentoring groups all over the place 
whether I see them one-on-one or whether I see them in a, in a group of people, I say, what's God saying to you right now? It's challenging them to go deeper. It's challenging them to stay in the presence of God no matter how hard, no matter how good their life is. It's challenging them, the good, the bad, and the ugly. David lived a life in the presence of God through the good, the bad, and the ugly. I love him. I love this man of God. I love reading about him, and I don't think I've even touched the surface of my study about David. My fourth fourth point, David encourages and exhorts Solomon. He says this, chapter 28, verse 20, David says to Solomon, be strong and of good courage and do it. Do not fear nor be dismayed for the Lord God, my God. My God? Your God, Solomon, my God, will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you until you have finished all the work. He was a great mentor. I know he was his father, but he came alongside of him and told him, you can do this. He encouraged the next generation. He said, come on. Let's do this together. Took his hand and go, come on, come on. Let's do this thing together. Another illustration is Paul and Timothy. Acts 16 and what 1 Timothy 4 and 12. Paul tells Timothy not to let anyone look down upon him on his youth. Come on, Timothy, lift your head. Okay, so you're not as mature as some of these older people, but you've got the Spirit of God in you which sets you apart from all the rest. I remember when Gary and I were youth pastors, we put a young girl on, her name was Joylene, 15, on our youth leadership team. Now she was 15, she was going to sit amongst the youth ministry. We had about 300 young people at that stage in our youth ministry. And we saw something in her. I remember saying to Gary, you know, something on her life, man. She's mature, didn't come from a perfectly good pastoral ministry type home. was far from it. But there was something inside of her, and i tell you what it was. She was passionately in love with Jesus. So we took a risk with her. We took this 15-year-old girl and we put her on our youth team. I'll never forget the day when she sat there amongst the 20-year-olds, the 25-year-olds, the 30-year-olds, me and Gary with our two little kids, and she's feeling like a fish out of water. Fish out of water, just like what Patty was saying before. Should I be here? I don't belong here. We didn't get her on there. We didn't bring the 15-year-old on in a 30-year-old mindset and position. She was on our team as a peer to her own age group. So we brought her on. That young lady was amazing. We just told her, be yourself. Be yourself. When I... When I got saved and we went to ministry, no one ever told me to be yourself. They told me, you've got to say it like this, you've got to be like this, you've got to dress like this, and then everyone will accept you. Wrong teaching. And I'm glad those days are over. But we told Joylene, be yourself. You're 15. you got nothing to prove. Nothing to prove. Settle. Chill. And I'll tell you what, that young girl, she, she started a high school ministry, 40 to 50 young people every lunchtime, then she became the youngest chaplain in South Australia at 19. The youngest chaplain ever, ever. Awesome. And now she is married to amazingly gorgeous, scrumptious, kissable 
kids. Oh, and she's a worship pastor. Can she sing? Oh, yeah. That was the other gift we recognize. Married and uh, ministering in a quite a large church in Australia. Why? Because we took a risk. Her fruit's our fruit, by the way. Just remember, when we take a risk with the next generation, uh, their fruit is our fruit. And we can we can just sit back and go, wow, yeah, come on. <laughs> I did that. No, God spoke to us. That's why she's where she is. With us personally, we come from both, both bad backgrounds, broken backgrounds, right? And we are saved. And I've known Gary since I was 16. I was a Christian at 18. He was nearly 20. Get married. I was nearly. I was 19. He was 21. We go into full-time ministry. I was 21. Gary was 23. A senior pastor called David Kearsey saw something in us. I look back and go, "Whoa! What did you see? A lot of brokenness, I think." Uh, well, we were married. We we're happily married. <laughs> and he saw something on our life, and he took a risk. And he says to us one day, the youth pastor left, went, went um, out bush with his wife, comes to our house, knocks on the door. It was, it was coming. It was coming. We were on the youth team, learning, being discipled. And he says, I'm going to take a risk. I want you guys to run the youth ministry. Okay? I looked at Gary. There's, 100, there's 120 young people and young adults. And I said, oh, okay. We prayed. Within about two minutes, we said yes. We knew the call of God was on our life. When we got saved, we had a man, of, man and woman of God, David and Murray Cartledge, prayed and prophesied over us that we were called, we we're going to minister, that, um, that I, was going to I was going to find my um, ministry and calling. Sometimes it will come out of my brokenness. Other times it will be, a word in season for the church and for people's lives. Then they said that Gary was mandate ministry, you know, and then they said other things that I won't say here um, about our future. But we are walking those prophetic words right now in this country. So God is good, isn't he? So we need to take a risk with the next generation. We need to literally look, pray, think, who can we see? There's someone there. Some of our churches um, have got, haven't got a youth ministry at all because they, and they don't have young people in the church because they're not thinking young people. They're not thinking next generation. And some of these churches, their average age in the churches are 45, 50. It's very scary. Very scary. We've taken our 14-year-old son, Jonathan, with us on the road as we're ministering, and Jonathan will be the only teenager sitting there in the church. And he looks around and he goes, Oh, I would not come here. He says, this is a dying church, our 14-year-old. And we, when we get in the car, we say, sweetheart, they're on a journey and everyone's on a journey. He goes, mm-hmm. Well, I was there. It's easy for a teenager to turn up, mum, if there's other teenagers there, our 14-year-old. Number two, we must nurture the prophetic in our churches. Yeah, I'm prophetic. Look out. We must nurture. We must become prophetic churches. We must, we must be the eyes and the ears and the voice in our communities. Acts 2, 17 to 18, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. 
sons, daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Some of our churches are prophecy-less. There's no prophecy. They don't encourage it. And so that's why they're small and insular because they're not seeing their community as God sees their community. They're not seeing their people in the church as God sees their people in the church. He who prophesies speaks edification and comfort to men. He who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself, but who prophesies edifies the church. It's 1 Corinthians 4, 3 to 4. Prophetic church gives hope, strength, comfort, it edifies, it exhorts, it encourages, it inspires, it adds boldness and it releases faith. I'm not standing here today because I am so confident. I'm standing here in the confidence of God today. I don't rely on my own confidence. I don't have any. Ask Gary. Even Patty's seen me sometimes so unconfident. But you know what happens? I get up and I say, God, I am confident because you are in me. I am confident because you've made me confident. I have confidence because God is in me. That's called boldness and that's called stepping out in faith, believing that I am called of God to do what I am doing today. And some of us need a boost of confidence, godly confidence in in our spirit. Prophetic people are change agents. Are change agents. They change the atmosphere wherever they go. So, I am I am big on the atmosphere in my home. When one of my kids kids come home grumpy, or I pick one of my kids up from school and they all work, they're grumpy. I'll say, "What's the problem?" And then I'll make a joke, and then I'll get Jonathan laughing, and then before you know it, Jonathan won't shut up. He keeps talking and talking and talking. He talks, doesn't he? Paddy goes, do you talk a lot? (laughs) Because I don't tolerate that kind of atmosphere in my own home because we've got to cultivate it. If we can cultivate that in our own home, then we're going to cultivate that as a leader in our churches and in our community. So we've got to be change agents. So if someone's grumpy, if you go to a, if you go out there and you're doing your shopping or you're going to the post office and, and the, you know, they're not, you say, I'm praying you have an amazing day. You've got to change the atmosphere where you go. Okay, I don't wake up like this every day. All right? There are some days I go, I want to just pull the covers over my head. Okay? And then Gary reminds me, remember you're a leader. No, I remember I'm Nikki Rucci. I'm allowed to have a day like this. He goes, yes, but now it's time to tell you to get over it. Because why? Iron sharpens iron. We tell each other that. Uh, Prophetic people change the atmosphere wherever they go. They declare and then they do it. Prophetic people just don't declare. Prophetic people actually walk it out. Leader to leader. Let's be like that. Dave next door. My friend next door, Dave and Alison. Dave's about to retire in 16th of July, next week. He's been telling me that for about three months because he doesn't want to retire. He's scared. So I, said to him, so I said to him twice now in the last month, first time I called him, he was doing something in the garage. I said, what are you doing, Dave? You're fixing up your garage. He goes, oh, I'm retiring soon. I've got to sort something out with my wife. I said, you know what? You watch. The best season of your life is about to start. You're going to wonder what you're worried about. He goes, he looks at me like I'm some kind of alien. 
And I said, you watch, it's going to happen. Anyway, I bring the washing in. This was what, last weekend? He was out there. Was, he's a cabbie. He's a cab driver. So I said to him, so mate, when are you... He, he knows I'm Australian. So he says, so mate, and he always laughs at me when I call him mate, right? And I said, so mate, when are you retiring? 16th. I said, it's going to be great, Dave. It's going to be the best season of your life. Remember that. And he goes, I know, you've told me that before. Prophetic people think higher, speak higher, so they can see further. Prophetic churches. We're called to be prophetic people. In other words, we're called to be a prophetic church. Think higher, speak higher, so we can see further. We must see further than where we are right now. We must, we must, we must. Phil, Phil Shaw. I said, Gary goes, oh, that's Phil. I said, oh, gee, he's young. Gary goes, no, he's not really. <laughs> I just want to encourage you. This is a great church. Vibrant. You walk in, you feel vibrant. You feel everyone. It's relational. There is there is prophetic unction here. Awesome, because you see further. And God is saying to you right now that God is going to give you there's something in your heart. There's a dream in your heart. It's bigger than you. And you're thinking, you're trying to work it out in your head. God's saying, let it go because it's going to happen. Because it's got to be bigger than me if it's going to go anywhere. It's got to be bigger than me if it's going to go further. People are starting to know that you're here. People are starting to recognize out there that you're actually here. It's going to multiply. It's going to multiply beyond your wildest thoughts and dreams right now. But it's because of the dream in your heart that you have for this area and this church, the people in this church, because you see, you think higher, you speak higher, and God's going to make you see even beyond. So God's, what, what I believe right now is God wants you to keep writing it down. Keep writing, keep writing it down until you see, wow, this is actually happening. Look, I've written it down. It's, ha- it's happening. Okay, keep writing it. God's going to keep giving you more. It's going to, and I also believe it's going to go beyond Cambridge. Hmm. There you go. Now, prophecy is meant to be tested. Okay? So let's test this word. Because I believe in all my heart it's going to go beyond Cambridge. Number three, quickly. Tell me when I'm... Okay. Who likes the number three? We need to nurture prayer in our churches. Please, please. Please, please. We need to be a praying movement. Oh, my goodness. I've noticed a lot of our churches are prayerless, and that's sad. As a, as a woman who prays and as a leader who must pray, we lead, lead. We've got to lead. We've got to remember everything stops and starts with us. So let's, let's up the ante when it comes to prayer. The people that, the church that are growing because of their prayer, they've seen healings, they've seen miracles, they are baptizing more and more people and the salvations are coming out of the year-olds. Bromley, Market Wilshire, BCC are seeing three to five salvations weekly. Weekly. It's incredible. It's incredible. And they've been through quite a quite a adverse situation. Regularly, people hearing, they're hearing people have been healed. They have a prayer meeting once a week. And then once a month they fast and pray all together corporately. Wow. I know Patty's been doing that as well. You've been having months of prayer and fasting. 
miracles, healings. So we must not become prayerless. We must be a praying movement. Ian Christensen at Wembley, last week a lady testified of being healed of lung cancer. I want to hear more of that. I want to hear more and more and more of that. Steve Upple at Wolverhampton, healings, church growth. They have a separate service, 150 ex-Hindus and Sikhs. Born again, spirit-filled, dancing, jumping, leaping, praising God. Awesome. The key is praying together and making room for the presence of God. Number four, my last point. We need to nurture and build authentic relationships three ways. I'm using my own experience. Okay, we've been here three and a half years. I love England and I love the people of England. We've got some great friends here now. It's taken time to actually build those friendships and walk into their little circles as a leader in the country because everyone has their cliques. But I noticed again at the conference, and I'm going to pick on the conference. I love the conference. It was a fantastic conference. Um, the numbers were unbelievable. But again, when I went up and said hello to some people, it was like because they didn't know me personally, they didn't want me personally to keep going with the conversation. Well, how are you going to get to know me personally if you don't spend another five minutes talking about me, talking to me, and about us? And I find that that's, I think, it's one of, one of the things I don't like is that we go so far and then we cut people off. Leader to leader, let's get down to the nitty gritties. How are you really going? How are you really going? How's your family? How's your husband? How's your wife? How are your children really going? Our son, our middle son, he's 21, just jumped out of a plane, tandem, great, landed, and the first word he says to us, it was insane, because he is insane. And he wants to take me up you know, when I'm 50 in about 10 years' time. Yeah, be quiet. I always told people my age until recently. I'm thinking, oh, I don't want to do that anymore. Anyway, I don't even know why I said that. Why did I say that? Anyway, insane. That's right. Yeah. He has struggled with being in the UK. He struggled with us leaving and he struggled with us coming. We left him six months in Australia because he was—he just didn't want, did not want to come. He was almost 18, 18 when we said we can't drag him here. We've got to make—he's got to make up his own mind. If we drag him here, he's going to hate us forever and a day. So we had to make the decision to leave him there for six months. Six months later, we've been contacting with him for six months. First six months, that six months, he says to rings us and he's crying. Our, you know, almost six foot tall, muscly good-looking kid is crying, never cried. He goes, I can't do this without you. When he came to England, our first 12 months with him was on hell on earth. So what did we do? Did we keep it to ourselves? Do we just, you know, we're not telling anyone. If, if anyone knows, oh my goodness, they're going to think we should not be in ministry. I've had that so many times. Or if, if anyone knows, they're going to think we're not capable, you know, of doing what we're meant to be doing here. The call of God has got to be put on hold. No, that's exactly what the enemy wants. 
And for some of you right now, that's exactly what the enemy wants. We've got to keep on going and do the best job we know how and get wisdom into our situation. So we had to get people like John and Andrine helping us. Don't say this, say that. Zip it, just mm, mm, mm. Sometimes I'd be at the, at the sink and I'd be doing the dishes and he would come and go, oh, I really hate being here. It's all your fault. And I would have tears down my face. He's laughing. I would have tears down my face. And I just let him go. I had to zip it, lock it, throw the key away, and I would have to just listen to him. And in my heart of hearts saying, God, help me. With everything inside of me, I just want to give him everything back. But I had to stop it. I had to stop, and I had to pray and say, God, help me. I would turn around and give him a hug. Say, I love you, Chris. And you say, is that all you got? I said, absolutely, I love you. Why? Because we had to get people into our world to help us with that situation. Don't do it on your own. So, authentic relationships three ways. It has to start with us. It starts with us. We need to build authentic relationships with our people. They need to see who you really are as a leader. We need to lead the way with their lives. Being vulnerable and transparent. Transparency is being an open book, something that may be easily seen through and easily understood. They are wanting their leaders to be transparent because why? They want to know how they're going to get through the next stage in their marriage, their children, their finances, just living. We're not here to just survive. We're here to teach them how to overcome. So be transparent enough to say, hey, you're going to overcome this. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you my story. When I go around this countryside, and in particular speaking to women, I tell them my story. Why? Because I am who I am today because of what God's done in me and now he's doing it through me. I'm not the 21, I'm not the 14-year-old, and I'm not the 5-year-old kid anymore. I'm a grown woman who has overcome. They want to know, how did you do that? Leader to leader, they want to know how. Are you living your life? How are you building family? How are you being? How are you wearing all the hats? How are you getting some kind of balance? Because some of them are business people in your churches and they want to know how you're doing that and, and, and family and what do you do? You sit them and you talk to them wherever it is. Huh. Make time. Talk. Communicate. Listen. Be, have big ears and a small mouth. We've cultivated that. John the Baptist said, I must decrease so he, so Jesus can increase. People followed Christ because of his personhood. They followed him because of his personhood. And yes, they followed him because of the miracles, but they also followed him because of who he was. We need to a revelation of who we are in Christ as a leader. As a leader. Who are we without the hat on? Who are we without the hat on? Is that who you really are? We often say you're, who you really are is in your own home. Who are you without the hat on? Because I can walk down the street with my leader hat on and pass the community without them even knowing it, without them even knowing I'm a leader. It's who are you as a leader? And none of us are too old or young to hear this. If we break through, so will the people following us. Vulnerability will free others to be open and vulnerable. If we quit, we will never have the right to tell people to keep going. 
we lose that right if we quit. So we've got to keep going. We must keep going. The other thing is we, we need to build authentic relationships in the AOG. I honestly believe we are stronger together. I honestly believe that. We are honestly stronger together. Our area team leaders, we are stronger together. We have a ball on our team. Uh, mainly because I always say something really stupid and then everybody starts to laugh. Is that true? He's not even game. We are stronger together. We talk about it. We pray for one another. We talk about our families, our wives, our husbands. We are stronger together. Iron sharpens iron. If we want to grow, then we need other people to challenge us, to stir us, and to stir the gift up in us if we want to grow. We can't do that in isolation. Isolation breeds negativity, and it leads to, it can lead to deception. Whoa, whoa. And we've even seen that in our own in our own area. Where people have left because their stinking thinking has become a part of their life. And they haven't dealt with the stinking thinking and the negative thinking. And they haven't got people around them to spur them on and to challenge them and to say, Hey, come on. No, they've gone off on their own little island. We need to take the lid off our life and get friends, two, three. Lots of friends. As my daughter would say, I've got hundreds of friends. And when one falls off the scene, she's devastated. That's my daughter. She's a people person. So whether it's your trustees, your elders, your board members, and can I say this, your spouses, we all need friends. And if you're, if you're here today and your wife isn't in ministry with you, and she has another job out there, she's still a minister, by the way, She's still anointed, thank you very much. There's still something on her life to give to the kingdom of God, but just because she's not in it with you in the church, don't please, please draw her alongside you and say, you are an important part of the ministry and I need you and I can't do this without you. We're in this together. Even if she has a job outside in the community and your job primarily primarily is to lead the church, she is needed and she needs friends and I know all across this country that there are many women whose husbands are in ministry they are very lonely they're very lonely they feel lonely and it doesn't have to be that way we need each other my last point C we need to have authentic relationships with our community and you've heard a bit about that from me today I'm very community orientated John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was always walking amongst people. We need to build relationships with people in our community, not just doing things for them. So it's okay, I'll go and paint that building and renovate it a little bit and get some grants and, and then you walk away and you don't have anything to do with them. Again, I can't, I can't fathom that. I will be in there having a coffee with them weekly, monthly. Saying, how are you going? You still like in your building? Oh, look at the carpet we laid. How awesome. It's still there. I will be building relationships with the people in our community. We know the, we know the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. <laughs> really. The guy down the road who runs the pub. The checkout chicks. And the security guy. The security guy. He's so funny. Oh, not you again. Yeah, at four o'clock when it's closing. 
I'm in the car and Gary goes, you watch, I know him, he likes me. I'm going to get in the door, in the door. One side is bar, is all bad, barred down and the next side is starting to, the, the, the whatever you call it, the door's coming down. Gary goes, please, he lets him in. I stood in the car, Gary goes, you're a chicken. I said, I am a chicken. We need to build those relationships and we need to actually move into the neighbourhood with our feet, with our feet, with our feet. Zacchaeus, a community leader, Jesus invited himself into his own home. Oh, knocks on the door. Oh, hi, Zacchaeus. Thought I'd just come in for a coffee. Ooh, we don't do that in England, do we? <laughs> I dare you. I dare you to do it with your neighbours. Our neighbours our neighbors know us. Our neighbours know us. I dare you. When you put the barbie on, ask your neighbours to come over. I dare you. Bry. Anyway, that's, that's it. We have to do this. Nurture, nurture, nurture. What do we need to nurture in our own churches and communities? I hope that was really helpful. And I really pray. I really pray that those that this next season God is doing something new. Open let's open our eyes. Let's hear the small still voice of the Holy Spirit and let's get our feet walking in the direction God wants us to. Amen. Thank you for listening and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.